Revenue Rhino. I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Chris Townsend from Wellspring. Chris, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks. It's nice to be here. I'm really excited. So Chris, tell me a bit about yourself and about your company. So I've been in marketing leadership positions most of my career, entirely in the innovation management software space. And so Wellspring is an innovation management software company. I've been doing that for somewhere in the order of one to two decades. I I have to think to count exactly. I've been at Wellspring for going on three years, two and three quarters or something like that at this point. Our innovation management software is a bit different than what you might expect, although I'm not sure you'd expect anything necessarily. We serve what we call the knowledge supply chain, which means every step along the way of new inventions and new technologies going from the lab into your pocket or your garage or the airplane you ride on or wherever it might be. And most people don't realize this, but Most of us, if you were asked, where does innovation happen today? You'd probably say, oh, there's a lot of startups doing some crazy cool things. And maybe you talk about former startups that are now big like Amazon or whatever. In terms of where the innovations that really affect our lives come from, that's a sliver of the picture, right? So take artificial intelligence and machine learning, for example, huge space right now. And the Amazons of the world, of course, are doing things there. But so are big government agencies and small government agencies, both for potential defense applications and to stimulate the national economy because it's an important technology of the future. And of course, it's not just the U.S., but lots of governments. And there's lots of research happening that's often outside of the corporate world. So big data sets being curated for facial recognition at places like Carnegie Mellon and lots of cutting edge research that companies then poach professors or they obviously there's lots of machine learning startups and the like. And we've probably all seen the the news clippings about Google and Facebook and Amazon and all the rest that are doing various things as well. Right. And everywhere. So all of those players have lots of research and technology development, technology commercialization efforts underway at various stages of maturity and robustness often in parallel, sometimes within the same organization, sometimes as partnerships with others. Again, think about how often like, you know, some researcher from the University of Toronto gets hired by Google Canada and blah, blah, you know, you know joins yeah. the new AI, AI research center there, whatever the case may be. You'd be shocked at how many brand name even academic institutions, corporations, government agencies don't have a really good coordinated way of knowing all the stuff that even they are doing, let alone Hmm. their partners uh, or past partners or former researchers of theirs. And so our software gets embedded among all those different players to help them manage what they're doing, understand what others are doing, and essentially make the innovation ecosystem work for the world the best it possibly can. I love it. That's that's such a cool space to be in, innovation and all that. That's, That's awesome. So what does marketing look like for you in this space? What are some key initiatives you're working on? What does it kind of look like for you? Yeah, great question. So this year is a very exciting year for us in that respect. I would say in years past, including in my tenure at Wellspring, like when I first joined, 
It was still the case that most of the players in that knowledge supply chain had some degree of complacency, as in government grants for scientific research and new technology development sort of have happened much the way they've happened for a very long time. You know, the NIH knows how they give out grants and DARPA knows how they do their work and so on. And that's not to say that the winds of change haven't been percolating under the covers. They have. I've you know, been in the innovation management space for over a decade and have, have watched that start to happen. But it got a swift kick in the pants from COVID last year to the sense that not just the folks who are already in those organizations who you know, are kind of well aware of like, we should really upgrade our systems past some basic project management stuff or sharing spreadsheets around. They gained a large talking point with the budget holders within whatever organization, like, look, you know, you saw how much we needed all this stuff last year and how hard we had to work and how weird it could be to sometimes keep track of, of all these special projects we had to do to make it through the pandemic. We should really set this up better. So now there's a lot of internal momentum at, you know, what tend to be large, lumbering, slow to change institutions and, and organizations, as well as just growing public awareness of the role of science in protecting our people and making life better. You know, it's not something to be taken for granted anymore. We've seen what it happens when science um, can't do its work. And so, you know, another thing that's been percolating for quite a while over the last couple of years, maybe even the last decade, you could say, is kind of like our generation's space race which I think is not just AI and machine learning, but is also climate-related stuff, you know, green tech. It's also literally the next space race, which seems to be happening right now. Uh, and a lot of other stuff, you know, autonomous transportation and electrification of the energy. I mean, I could go on and on, right? I'm huge revolutions in biotech and human health. And so there's just this renewed momentum everywhere. And so mm-hmm. a lot of our attention is turned on how fast we can capture this momentum and do the work that we've already been doing at more scale for more institutions and and companies and sort of help perpetuate the virtuous cycle. Love it. That's awesome. So let's shift into some of your advice when it comes to marketing. What advice would you give to other marketers in this space and also in other spaces, more broadly software for doing marketing well, staying on top of things and and really just succeeding in this role. Yeah, so I think that advice can vary quite a lot depending upon what kind of company it is. I mean, there's general aphorisms that would apply across, but we're pretty heavy B2B. So we do big deals that take a fair amount of time, pretty known market as in we know most of the folks we should be we should be going after. It's not a sort of broad spray our lead gen everywhere and just, you know, wait to see what sticks against the wall. So That suggests that we need a personal and curated approach to relationships, right? Mm. And so for us, it's not about, you know, offering special promotions or incentives on Twitter, like the first 10 people to click here, get, you know, get their own espresso machine or whatever. I mean, that's that's just not what our kind of folks are looking for. They want to make the NIH run better. They want Lockheed Martin to be better at, at innovating. And that's what gets them going. And so... It depends upon a broader approach, right? So we start well before customers are customers, as in one of our best Mm. marketing vehicles is what we call roundtables. And so we, again, because we sort of know the people we need to target, we hand curate a list of several thousand folks that we think belong in, in the room to talk about 
the future of innovation management and emerging best practices and pain points and solutions that they've found. And we then privately invite them to participate. And we, we, you know, we limit them to 15 people at a time. So we can really just talk with each other like we're around a coffee table. And we'll get a deal or two out of each. It's not really about, I mean, it's nice that we get deals from those, but we also begin the relationship. So when I say a deal or two from each, that might not happen for two years, but they get to know us. They get to know me. They get to know the company. They'll start to meet colleagues of mine. We'll talk shop. And, you know, that just kind of deepens until the point that budget cycles are in the right place, their team is in the right place, their needs are in the right place that we can find a way to work together. And then it just continues all on down the line. So our goal is to help innovation happen better, right? And we know we can help. And, you know, when and if they're ready for us to help, we can. And the question is just finding the right ways to do so, putting ourselves on the same side of the mission. Like, how, how can we help you take your ability to innovate to the next level, whether that means better throughput or more consistent high impact returns, like more projects making it into the market, whatever it is, right? And so if we're true to that, then we are there as, you know, it's not just um, implement software and then leave, you know, we're going to have the right project team and the right folks from our side that are with the customer helping make sure that they have everything they need from us, offering other folks to talk to when needed, that kind of thing. And so we, we just find all kinds of ways for that, to, usually without asking for that to, to drive benefits for us. I love it. Really providing value. That's awesome. So if I'm a B2B marketer and I want to organize a similar initiative and kind of create this roundtable type of groups and all this, how would I go about doing that? Where did you guys like get started with that? And how did that initiative come to be? So I'll tell you a story. It's not from Wellspring. It's from earlier in my career. But when I first got the idea to do this kind of, you know, sort of senior executive, but also guerrilla marketing approach, it's kind of what roundtables are. I mean, we literally have no agenda other than the name of a topic. So earlier this month, we did one called Managing Innovators. It was about like how to, Hmm. you know, keep really productive inventors happy, even though they can sometimes be irascible, right? And so on. And so we'll just have a topic and then we meet for an hour and a half online. We used to be in person, it would be for like half a day, but that's it. There's no guest speaker, there's no Hmm. grandstanding, there's no selling. It's just peers talking. I first got the idea for this years ago, much earlier in my career. And at the time I was a young marketing leader, still struggling to live up to my title, right? And I realized that I didn't have good enough insights about what the customer really wanted. and sales wasn't super willing to let me into meetings they were having or to you know be in the room all the time. And so I needed a way of having direct access to my own opinions on where the market was headed and what, what the customer really needed, even if they wouldn't say it out loud. And so it was really always fundamentally a market research effort mm-hmm. without like, putting a survey out there and people answering certain questions, which may not have been the right questions. You know, if you just like yeah. put people in a room, say everything is private, we're not recording this and let them talk. I found that I learned very different things than I would if I said like, what do you think about this? <laughs> yeah. um, and I actually had a lot of trouble the first time, first one or two times, the first one or two companies I tried to do this in, a lot of trouble getting it off the ground because to anyone else but me, this seemed like a waste of time. Because the question was, how on earth is this driving leads for us this quarter? And the answer is, it's probably not. What I found is that 
I found ways to keep the program going out of the gates and to sort of shelter it from the light of day at first until it started working. And hmm. so fast forward like six to 12 months from inception of me trying to do this once a month or once every other month. And, and you know, I started getting an update. The first round table I ever did, there were two people and one of them was me. Yeah. Um, and the next one, I think there were three or four and one of them was me. But then, you know, right. then it started working. And once it starts working, then I started getting complaints from colleagues that I wasn't doing it enough because, you know, it was becoming this pipeline thing. And they were learning stuff when I'd bring colleagues in as, as sort of my buddy. And so that was, I think, what really helped me feel comfortable as a marketer in the early years of being the CMO. There's probably more to say to answer your question fully, but I feel like I've been talking for a while. So maybe I'll stop for a moment. No, I love that story. It's like, it sounds to me like it was just like, get it started and you might not get initial results right away immediately, but it's a longer term play of really seeing the value in the long term. And that's awesome. I love it. I think there's a lot of things, certainly in complex sales, B2B marketing, that depending upon who's around you in the organization, can feel difficult to justify up front, other than conceptual or strategic grounds. Like if we do this, you know, just cross your fingers and wait 12 months and it'll start working at some point. And I don't know that there's a good way around that other than having either some ability to create a sandbox for yourself that's a little bit stealth or just having really good trust and strategic rapport with your colleagues, one or both of those two, until the evidence starts to come back. A lot of the best programs I've built work like that. It's a great insight. Well, Chris, this has been amazing to have you on. Any last thoughts or words of wisdom at all before you run? I feel like one of them I might have said I just gave. So I'll add, I've been amazed. I, you know, frankly, I'm not, I'm not that old, but I've been in my career long enough to have an appreciation for the fact that so much of whether a marketer or probably anyone in their career is successful comes down to not just talent, not just grit, but also circumstance. Mm. And I've watched sort of my star fall or rise variously, both because I was in the right place at the right time and noticed it, but also just by being lucky at times uh, where things just happen to work out, you know, sort of catching a break. I try and keep that in mind, both for keeping myself honest, but also, you know, thinking about hiring, like looking for diamonds in the rough, like there are people whose resume might not look great, but they just haven't had the right opportunity and it just, hmm. they just haven't had the right kind of luck, you know, and, and vice versa. And also for, you know, for programs you're trying to, to put together. I mean, just because something isn't working right now in month one doesn't mean you're not onto something. And there's always this question of, you know, is the thesis still valid? And is there the right way to keep trying until you have a piece of flint right there that you can light the spark? I love it. That's awesome. Well, Chris, this has been amazing. I appreciate all your wisdom, insights, and advice here today. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks.